What's up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York. Joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Well, what are you hyped on, man? That was a hell of an intro. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I got to switch it up. You know, I say the same thing every week. I got to. <laughs> yeah, man. Things are going pretty well. Dude. Okay. So I know every episode we talk about my podcast and eventually I'm going to stop. You mean you're streaming? Oh, uh, yeah. My sorry. My Twitch because we are on the podcast. <laughs> Two things that happened with my Twitch. Well, sort of. So someone came in and sounded like, a stranger version of you and Uh-oh. by stranger i mean someone that i don't know <laughs> okay yeah i was gonna say you don't get much more bizarre than me but uh, uh, i would <laughs> i would take offense to that <laughs> they said that their favorite comics event was the mutant massacre mm-hmm. and i was like oh i mean yeah it's pretty good there's you know there's some crazy stuff that's happened since then and he's like yeah I, after like the 90s i kind of stopped <laughs> reading marvel and started reading indie comics and i was like Oh, <laughs> I know a guy that you might like. <laughs> and so I used that as an easy segue to talk about the pod. And I was like, yeah, there's a link down below. Check it out. My co-host Steve has pretty much the same comic history as you. I think you guys might get along, blah, blah. He's like, cool, check it out. No idea if he actually will check it out, but that was an easy plug. I did a shameless plug to my friend on Facebook. She posted that she was looking for a podcast and I was like, and that was the oh. first comment. And I was like, yeah. oh, easy plug. Here you go. <laughs> She's like, yeah, but I don't really read the comics. I was like, it's fine. One of my friends that I routinely guest spot on their pod for says that we make it very easy to understand, even if you don't read the comics. So I sure hope that's true. Come check it out. Really do try. I know. It, that was like, yeah, it's such a great endorsement to, to get completely unsolicited. Like, I love that Matthew and Paul from Superhero Ethics, that they actively listen to our pod and respond on Facebook and with like random comments here and there, but then also they actually enjoy it. <laughs> They're not listening to it just because we happen to be on the same pods from time to time. <laughs> right, they actually yeah, yeah. like listening to what we have to say about comics and stuff. It is cool seeing this, seeing the sort of community that that forms around, you know, something like this or, or your stream. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to meeting this new stranger, yeah. either in your stream sometime or whether they... Take the advice, start listening to the pod, you know, become part of the community, start posting the Facebook group, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm stoked, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's really awesome. I am hyped right now on baseball. I had to slightly delay the the start of our recording here so I could go grab my Dodger cap. (laughs) It is the last game of the regular season. And the Dodgers and the Giants have been locked in this crazy race for the division all year. The Giants are up one game, so if the Dodgers win today and the Giants lose, then there's a one-game playoff for who wins the division. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. The loser of that goes to the wildcard game, which is another one-game playoff, and then the winner of that game goes and plays the winner of the division, either the Dodgers or the Giants. It's It's a giant fucking mess. It's even crazier in the American League right now. So, So, okay, there's the National League and the American League, right? Yes. And then there's three divisions in each, East, West, Central. And so the team with the best record in each division gets a guaranteed playoff spot. The next two best teams by record, regardless of their division, get what's called a wild card spot. 
those two wildcard teams play a one-game playoff for the right to advance to the playoffs proper, basically. Currently, if the Red Sox and Yankees lose and the Blue Jays and Mariners win, then there will be a four-team tie for both wildcard slots. Oh, my God. (laughs) In which case, just absolute insanity unfolds. I'm rooting for the Dodgers, obviously. They're my team. Dodgers are down one run. Giants are up one run. I've got the Dodger game on on a on my other monitor. So if I start, you know, exclaiming inappropriately mid podcast, I'm very sorry. But also, this is what's going on as we record. So you'll be able to determine the exact time that we're recording this. <laughs> but also, there's a possibility for for maximum chaos going on, which obviously I'm rooting for. So. And then there's also WNBA playoffs going on right now, NBA preseason, crazy, crazy just moment of sports. So very exciting. That's pretty wild. I don't follow any sports, really. I know enough to like follow conversation. Yeah, yeah. As soon as people start talking about like individual players and and how like, oh, yeah, well, you know. Kugisaki's injury uh, is going to keep him out for like three weeks. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, da- absolutely. <laughs> but so it, at that it, level, I'm just like, cool guys. Is <laughs> is Kugisaki the name of a character in a sports anime? No. Okay. It, you just you just <laughs> you just pulled that pulled name one. out so quickly I and really seamlessly, and this being you know the strongest interest in oh sports gosh, that you I have. I have such a weakness. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so it's borderline embarrassing. Like I I own how much anime I watch. I love anime. It is the greatest thing in my life. It has taught me. So much about being a, lack of a better term, chivalrous adult and (laughs) having morals and and the strength of spirit and strength of character. I've learned so much and Mm -hmm. tried to mold so much of myself from different anime through my 36, 35 years of existence. That said, (laughs) I will own the fact that I watched Sailor Moon growing up. But it is sure. hard for me to admit that I have a weak spot for sports anime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been so much great sports anime. <laughs> <laughs> you watched Sailor Moon growing up, but also I distinctly re- remember your mom taking us to a showing of uh, Akira at the UCSB Multicultural Center. Yeah. And we were like, 10 years old, 11. Ten? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're too young to be watching uh, Akira. That was. Uh, Don't think she really knew what she was getting in, getting into there. Maybe. But at maybe. the same time, like she put me in contact with like the anime club at UCSB. Yeah. And they would lend me, let me borrow their like VHSs of whatever anime they're watching at the time. Right. So like my first anime was Ron Half. Yeah, that is very much not a children's anime. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I think it is like it is, but it's not. Well, yeah, there's it's, boobs. It's really just, that's that's it. There, yeah, there's a lot of what is referred to as fan service. Sure. It's it comes from a very different culture. Yeah. Japan is way more the way less squeamish of a woman's body. Yeah. Especially especially her chest than Americans are. Yeah. Americans sexualize a woman's body. 
the Japanese, I mean, it's they're yeah. another person, and they're just gonna go along with the story and whatever right. happens. But yeah, but it they, is also very much sexualized. But it's also like it's part, like like yeah. I would say it's it's comedically sexualized yeah. as opposed to lustfully sexualized yeah, yeah. in America. Yeah, it's like sexualized but without the taboo that makes you think that, oh, you're really getting away with something here. Right. There's a specific genre of anime for people that like sexualized women's bodies. And that... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not to say it doesn't exist. It's just there is a, that's a different right. section of anime. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> With that, should we With talk that, about... Let's talk about comics. comics and Nomon. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. What'd you read this so, week? So, I really want to read King in Black. And uh-huh. King in Black, at the rate I'm going, is like five weeks away. And so I'm trying to read a little bit more. Also, right now, there was, at least this week, there wasn't a whole lot of great stories to read. So, like, I kind of gauge, if it's not a good story, I'm going to read one more. If it's a great story, then I'll slow it down. <laughs> so sure, I can sure. freak, it out, freak out about, like, Age of Conchu versus yeah, yeah. reading Werewolf by Night. <laughs> not to bury the lead or anything here. Uh, yeah, so this week I read Werewolf by Night. It was a one-shot, thank goodness. I read Conan the Barbarian, Into the Crucible. I read Juggernaut, which was a oh, yeah. one-shot, unfortunately. But I think, they, I think they made it so he could do more. So I'm excited for that. I think that'll end up in my pack somewhere. So I'll, I'll end up reading Juggernaut eventually. Cool. But I don't care about spoilers, so. Okay. There is a, this oversized Fantastic Four antithesis i thought because it was going to be fantastic for related it was going to be the antithesis but it's 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 not i don't know it's <laughs> not really i'm halfway through iron man big iron which is his first volume post iron man 2020 and arno and all that kind of oh, stuff yeah 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 i mean i'll save it for next week because i'm not done with it but i'm not too excited about it right mm. now we'll we'll see if it pays off but okay the first two issues are kind of meh so yeah so that's where i'm at Cool. And I've got a chapter of Nomon <laughs> as, as per usual. So, Werewolf by Night. Surprisingly, I actually have a whole page of notes, considering that it wasn't very good. And I think a so, lot of it was more critique than substance. But. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know the character very well. Yeah, nobody does. I know his name is Jack Russell. The only Werewolf by Night story I think that I've ever read or a story with him was that story of X Factor where he shows up to help oh, save with Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane's kid, Tyr. Yeah. And they have Hrimrari. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the wolf people hanging out. So Jack Russell is canonically, historically, Werewolf by Night. Yeah. As opposed to Werewolf by Day, like. Yeah, well, werewolves, you know, traditionally come out because of the full moon kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And he was always part of, like, the Monster City underground. He was on the monster team with Frankencastle when that was a thing. <laughs> oh, boy. He was released around the time when they were doing, like, all the horror tropes within Marvel. So, like, mm-hmm. Morbius, Living Vampire, Werewolf by Night, Frankenstein's Monster. They basically introduced all of those Back in the 70s, I believe. Yeah. 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frankenstein's Monster, Living Vampire, Dracula, Man-Thing. And also, apparently, that's when they introduced Weird World oh. was in the 70s Interesting. in that era. It didn't become a staple in 616 until post-Secret Wars when sure, yeah. there was a place of Weird World on Earth. Yeah. 
So this is not Jack Russell. This is a new werewolf by night. I should also point out that it is written by Taboo. He is a member of the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, the guy that honestly <laughs> completely judging books by their cover. I thought he was Asian, but he's a Native American member okay. of the Black Eyed Peas. And it really threw me off. So it's written by both Taboo and this other guy, B. Earl. Knowing okay. that, that explains the quality of storytelling in this book. <laughs> because it is neither of their strong points. <laughs> okay. And, and what I mean by that is like, there's just poor continuity. So we don't have Jack Russell. We have this kid, Jake Gomez. He is a member of the Hopi tribe or Hopi tribe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to mispronounce that. The men in his family have passed down this werewolf transformation that they get. Is supposed to act as kind of the protector of their tribe and on the reservation that they're on as kind of this like inherited duty. Sure. So we're kind of ignoring Jack Russell and all of that. This is just a brand new retelling of the character that Werewolf by Night could be or now is. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. So that's fine. The werewolf side of Jake only comes out at night hence the name. (laughs) He lives with his grandma and his like best friend. I think her name's Rosie. He is a custodian at Life Pharmaceuticals. Okay. Not to be confused with the Life Foundation that is heavily (laughs) involved in symbiotes and all that. (laughs) Oh, Marvel. This is Life Pharma. And people on the reservation have been disappearing. And so... Werewolf by Night has been going out trying to figure out where people have been disappearing to, this, then, and the other. Traditionally, he hasn't done any fighting. He's just been like the scared, the scare you straight type. Okay. And then at the end of the first issue, he comes across these three other tech slash monster enhanced beings that he goes up and fights against. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've actually had to fight. So he's 17 years old and he's kind of figuring his way. I had mentioned last week that Red Wolf was involved. Red Wolf, I believe, my understanding is he was introduced for the very first time in Marvel 1870. It was a uh, battle world country uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. set in the Old West and he is a Native American that is just, Like your classic, super in touch with nature, very spiritual, fights fluidly and and, and uses the environment to win. At the end of Secret Wars, he ends up in 616, wandering around America. He teams up with Hawkeye during Occupy Avengers for like this two volume run. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't seen him since. So we get introduced to him. He's teamed up with this other woman, JJ, and they are out picking up young adults in the name of the uh, Cradle Act or whatever the outlawed thing. Okay. Cradle's the organization, but the um, the superhero juvenile act <laughs> thing that got introduced in Outlawed. Sure. They catch wind of this young adult werewolf person, and so Red Wolf and JJ are out to go and find him. Jake has his first fight. He wins. We have a scene with him at Life Pharma. This big head guy's like, hey, I need you guys to come and clean up Lab A for me. 
This is one of the continuity errors within two pages. In <laughs> oh, the no. first page, he's thinking to himself, man, I really wish I had like ESP or some sort of like superpowers instead of this like emo werewolf ability <laughs> because something doesn't seem right. Like, why is he pulling me in to go and like clean up Lab A? And yeah. then scene transition, scene transition, two pages later, he's in the lab cleaning it up. And then he's like, my wolf hearing is listening to this conversation in the other room. My wolf senses can smell the blood on the ground. My wolf sight can see these marks and this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, okay, well, you have all these extra abilities. <laughs> Why are you complaining? <laughs> like, <laughs> he can tap into these extrasensory abilities that he gets from being werewolf by night during the day. Right. You're good, man. <laughs> yeah, just do your thing. Get over it. <laughs> The other continuity is the fact that in another fight at the end, he like analyzes how this other guy is fighting, that he's stronger and faster and he's cocky. And so I use that against him. And I'm like, you have clarity of mind in this fight and (laughs) you know how to use your opponent's like emotions against them. On screen, this is the second time he's ever been in a fight that wasn't against a human. Like... It's, it's a nitpick, and it's only really a nitpick because it happens within the same volume, sometimes within the same issue. <laughs> and so that's why I'm kind of like, come on, man. But whatever, not a big deal. We get introduced to two different legends passed down through Jake's tribe and through Red Wolf's tribe. Jake's tribe has this legend of this woman who comes across a red wolf and a gray wolf. The red wolf is loving and kind, and the gray wolf is angry and and vicious. The woman feeds the red wolf, and the three of them grow up together, and the gray wolf grows weak because she doesn't feed it, and she is fed and cared for the red wolf, and so it Mm -hmm. has worked as as her protector. And then he goes and meets this person actually called Red Wolf, and he's like, huh. (laughs) Jake refers to himself as the gray wolf, but he's brown. So, eh, whatever. Sure. It's not a big deal. When Red Wolf comes across Jake, he's like, oh, this is my purpose now. <laughs> like, he just completely dedicates himself to, to Jake and helping him figure out his werewolfness. Because when he's a werewolf, his emotions go crazy. And he has very little control over his emotions. Think like Hulk but werewolf. Yeah. And so the only way he can transform back to being a human with the exception of it being the daytime is if he calms down. And so, (laughs) and so red wolf like chants this, like hymn of relaxation that he knows to connect with werewolf's soul. And that's how he talks him down because previously and historically up to this point, he's had earbuds in And his girl, who's been kind of just on the lookout with him, would play music and the different music would either hype him up or bring him down. Okay. And so when when things were done, she'd play like like classical music or whatever to like slow his heart rate down, bring him down, yada, yada. When he comes across Red Wolf, he doesn't have his ear pods in. So Red Wolf talks him down. It's like, oh my gosh, someone else did it. Yeah. Let's talk about the villain. The villain is Dr. Makowski, and she is the head of Life Pharmaceuticals. 
Of course. She has your classic drive of blending biology and technology into making a perfect being kind of a thing. She created the three like animal cyborgs that he fought at the beginning. She's the one who's been kidnapping people and she has them like locked up in giant tubes like the Matrix. Huh. Like the real world in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Somehow the key to figuring out the link between bio and tech is Jake's DNA. Yeah. Which doesn't like. (laughs) So to recap, (laughs) so (laughs) Jake has this spiritually linked transformation into a werewolf. Yes. He works at Life Pharmaceuticals, which we don't know what they do. They're just a big pharma company. Sure. And the head wants to blend bio and tech. And in order to perfect the process, she needs Jake Gomez's DNA. Right. And only his for... For whatever reason. He is the key. Does she know that he's... Werewolf by night? Werewolf by night? Yeah, they figure it out. Okay. But thinks that it's a genetic thing and not a spiritual thing or yeah, maybe- there's nothing. Yeah. The spiritual thing is strictly on the tribe side and in the scenes with the tribe. Yeah. But it's why he's werewolf by night. Yes. But they want still want his DNA. Yep. Okay. Sure. Quality writing. This is the, this the is old, action the old, movie the old spirit 90s. DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 90s action movie shit. The whole like so- <laughs> we have to stop the terrorists. They're gonna break the entire internet. Yeah. And so the wolf legend from Red Wolf's side, which just happens to be perfect for Werewolf by Night, is a thing called Song of the Wolf. And it's this 14 verse or 14 couplets that tells the story of the chieftain's daughter and a farmer boy that fall in love and want to be together. The chieftain won't allow it, yada, yada, forbidden love type shit. They go to a, a like wizard guy and they're like, can you help us be together? And wizard guy says, sure. And so sets them up in like a cabin out of nowhere. Chieftain finds them, locks up the farmer boy. Chieftain's daughter goes to the wizard again. Is like, hey, can you save us? Because, you know, like this has only happened because of you and chieftain and the wizard's like, yeah, sure, I got you. And so he goes to the farmer boy who's locked up and he's like, here's a potion. It'll give you the abilities of the wolf but do not kill. Okay. He says, I got this. So he takes it. And then lo and behold, he kills the chieftain. Yeah. And chieftain's daughter still loves him. And so they run off. And so the story goes that in order to lift the curse of the werewolf, seven wolf years have to pass without death. So one human year. Maybe. We don't know how long okay. a wolf year is compared to a human year. I mean, I guess one I'm just thinking argue. dog years. Right. One would argue. Yeah. One would argue. As soon as he sees Werewolf by Night, he thinks of that song. And so he has made it his mission. If grandma's willing to put him up, then he would like to help Jake learn how to control his werewolf side. Yeah. It's not even like I want to help you to like get rid of this ability. It's just more like, hey, I know about this song. Can I help you? <laughs> Sure. Like <laughs> this sounds like as you're as you're telling me this, it sounds like a lot of, you know, because like I make comics and I make it my business to, you know, know other indie comics creators. And so 
you know, like when I go to a con or something, I'll walk around Artist Alley and anybody who isn't with any sort of publisher who's self-publishing, I want to take some time to sit and listen to their pitch and, and see what they're doing. I hear a lot of really, really tremendously bad pitches this way. <laughs> I don't mean I, I don't I don't want to sound like like I'm fucking holier than thou because I make this high concept like spy con comic about neoliberalism or whatever. But like the thing that really turns me off in so many pitches is creators don't know how to talk about the thing that's unique about their book. Why should I care? What's interesting mm, mm. about this? And what they do is they start just kind of vomiting up the mythology of their book, you know, like, so, okay, so, uh, you know, uh, so 3000 years ago, this uh, alien species called the cherubim came to earth and they started made intermating with humans and, you know, and then there were hybrids and, um, and then there's also demons and you have to, you know, and this main character is a quarter human and half of each of these. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, bro, like that alone isn't interesting. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you've just told me a bunch of, sh this is how I'm feeling about this, this book is like, not, not your telling of it, but that's all that there, it, it makes me think in this book that that's all there is, that they just had this idea of like, oh man, yeah, like aliens and demons and stuff. And then they were excited enough about that apparently to, to make a comic out of it. Like, that's yeah. a lot of fucking work to make a comic. Yeah. So like kudos to them for doing that. But like, I just don't, there's just not anything that's like interesting here outside of your own brain. And that's the sense that I'm getting from this comic is that it was interesting to the creators inside their own brain. And mm -hmm. because the guy was in black eyed peas, he gets to publish that through Marvel instead of slinging it in artist's alley, but it's basically interchangeable. Right. But now, because this is happening in 616, like, right. you've, you've added to the tapestry that is 616, buddy. Like, right. Yeah. And yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Ugh, yeah. This is these, partially These are characters I, that, yeah, this is have to be accounted for or whatever. A little bit how I feel about Future Fight characters also. Uh-huh. But again, neither of us have done the extra research to be like, how is it doing in like China and all that? I mean, I think this goes to kind of the the like central thesis of like, what are they doing with Marvel? Like, right. In general, like, is it correct to read all of Marvel as one story like we do because we're insane people or to read these as separate things that, you know, like have tangential connection or sometimes stronger than that to each other, but largely are meant to exist independent because I feel like there's every likelihood that this character will never be used again. That if this is referenced at all in future appearances of Red Wolf, it'll be a caption, you know, like one yeah. dialogue balloon being like, this reminds me of the time that I, you know, did this. Or where have you and been then, this whole time? <laughs> and then and then the editor caption saying like, you know, check out Werewolf by Night for more details. Yeah. And beyond that, it just fades into nothing. Because Marvel became what it is by being the house of ideas, right? They just throw fucking everything at the wall. And then if it's good enough, it stakes, it gets used later. If not, whatever, no big deal. 
But sometimes, yeah, you do have narrative directions for characters, like, for example, killing characters off or just having them like, you know, part of writing compelling, believable characters is they have to grow and change. And then that takes them away from the true north to be used again as a blank slate or as a um, pure concept in another book. So. Mm-hmm. real conflict there and i don't know which is more correct of those two readings but it is frustrating i agree <laughs> yeah and i'm like but i mean like we haven't even i skipped over like five other really random examples of yeah. like stuff and plot that happens in this book that have no <laughs> arguable connection to the rest of the story oh god okay like 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 the head of like pharmaceuticals, <laughs> they're like big MacGuffin central computing thing is yeah. a giant brain connected to computers. Cool. Yeah. It's not I mean, Modoc. <laughs> it's not the it's not the Cree uh hive mind. It's just a giant brain. And some guy calls it the brain frame. And then Dr. Mikowski's like, oh, by the way, yeah, never called that again. And he's like, okay. <laughs> like, legit, like that happened in the next cell because as soon as he said brain frame, I almost messaged you to be like, this is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then within the comic, they're like, never use that again. And I was like, okay, cool, moving on. <laughs> but you know that that's what it's called on the wiki now. Yeah. Like they, they had the to give it something. Frame. Yeah, it's the brain frame. And like that's the official uh, you know, out of continuity name for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So only one other thing really happens <laughs> that's worth mentioning that I don't like is okay, so Dr. Mikowski has kind of a metallic face and overall look. So one would assume that she is a cyborg or robot, whatever, not a big sure. deal. The sure. climactic fight between Makowski and Werewolf by Night lasts half of a page. Two cells. <laughs> That's terrible. That's so bad. That's she gives bad. Yeah. She gives three text boxes of monologue beforehand. They both jump at each other. She has a sword. He's a werewolf. She stabs his shoulder at the same time he impales his entire hand through her torso. And then I guess he wins that one. Her face opens up. What? Yeah. And there's a brain with an eye on it. And and while they're right in front of each other, werewolf goes, what the actual? And it shoots out and flies away into a nearby helicopter to run away and survive. (laughs) that is the climactic battle i mean like uh, if you're gonna tell a bad story you should at least have good actions you know like if the writing's gonna be (laughs) shit you should at least have cool action sequences yeah so red wolf and jj are there for cradle but they never lock jake up they never report on jake even though they were sent because of jake whatever yeah and then he just quits red wolf just quits cradle because he wants to train jake all right and then the last page is somewhere in mexico and it's another like 
tech facility and we have Mikowski in a brand new body that looks the exact same. It says the end with three question marks. <laughs> By that point, the copy editor had given up. They're like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> three question oh marks. Gosh. Why not? Cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't envy your week. Yeah, it was, it was rough. So Scott Eaton is one of the artists on here. And he talked about how like he could see Taboo worked some of his own personal life into Jake's story and yada yada. So like okay. I see that this is more of a love project. A passion project, yeah. Personal passion project than it was yeah. let's expand the Marvel Universe. Yeah. But by doing a passion project within 616, he has expanded the Marvel Universe with this terrible storytelling. But anyway, it happened. It's your fault, man. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I do this yeah. to myself. So yeah. next up is Conan. Yes. Conan. I don't know if it's Conan or Conan, but it's The Barbarian. The title is called Into the Crucible. This is a, a new volume one. Last set, quote unquote, was The Life and Death of Conan, volume one and two. So this doesn't start a renumbering. It's issues 13 through 18 of that same series. Okay. But yeah, it's just yeah. a new volume. I was looking at this and I'm kind of feeling like before I even read it, I was like, I might stop getting the Conan books because I've read mm. like six of them and I bought them because I want to know more about Conan uh, yeah. now that he's in 616. And I feel like I know all there is to know. These aren't set in 616? These, no, these are all okay. in like his before. time in Hyboria, right. which, okay. which if you pull up a timeline of Earth, Apparently, there is a Sumerian age and a Hyborian oh, sorry, a Hyborian yeah. age before modern history. But like, that's a stretch because if you pull up Marvel Earth six one six history, there was a Hyborian age. Yep. But like, there's no evidence of anything. Like, it, no, that shouldn't exist. Not. That should yeah, be yeah, just yeah, a yeah. separate Earth. And to me, it's a separate Earth because sure. it's governed by different gods. It's governed by different laws. It's, it's It has cities and countries that don't have any sort of relics in on our Earth. Like, yeah, yeah. It's very much a separate thing. So I ignore that that exists. But anyway, so all of the Conan books that I've been reading have been his time in Hyboria. And just because I wanted to get a, an idea of who he yeah, is. Yeah, 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 totally. The only stuff he's done in 616 has been Savage Avengers. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. And I'm borderline solidified in my thinking from this book. <laughs> okay, So well, two for two here then. I know. So it's six issues. The first four are he is thrown into this like death dungeon that happens to be part of this some regular number of years ritual that acts as offerings to this death god kind of a thing. Okay. It's funny because it, the contestants have to get through this dungeon that is full of traps and all this other kind of shit. And mm -hmm. there is a statue to the God in the middle of an arena. And there's eight glowing gems along the bottom of the statue. And as each person dies, the gem goes out. And that's all that the goers can see because it's in okay. this dungeon and they lose their minds when one light goes out. Yeah. So the the okay. idea of it is if whoever ends up being able to survive the dungeon, then 
the dungeon comes out at that arena and will fight other champions to the death. But like, this is a days long dungeon. If you like blink and a light goes out, yeah, you missed it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just it, the dungeon doesn't make sense. But anyway, it's just you know Conan showing that he is a true warrior. He is one with the like act of survival. And something that is interesting about Conan is. He so is very new concepts about Conan that need introduction here. <laughs> <laughs> but like he is very much a solitary character. Like he will always survive on his own, but he's always willing to team up. You know, he can read the situation well enough that like if there are other people there that are also trying to survive, he will always sure. advocate for teamwork over okay. anything else. Okay. So I, was, I thought that was kind of interesting. That's cool. But, you know, storytelling being what it is, he ends up being one of two people that survive. Oh, sorry. One of three people that survive the dungeon. The other two swiftly get killed in the arena. And then in the dungeon, he made a promise to this girl assassin who ended up dying in the dungeon that her whole reason why she was there is because she wants to go and take back this sword that's called the tooth of the night star that is a family heirloom that was stolen from her family that she wants to go and like take back to her tribe or her village or okay the next two issues is him going and getting the star the night star sure sword yeah and this is the closest he's gotten to failing as Conan the Barbarian, he gets the sword and it possesses him. And it kind of acts like kind of the way that the ebony blade works for the Black Knight in the sense that once you wield it, it possesses you and demands blood sacrifice to the sword kind of a thing. You get a Conan that is starting to fall under the wiles of this bloodthirsty blade. Sure. It makes him hallucinate that everyone around him is going to attack him as some monster or some beast, whatever. And so he feeds the blade all kinds and the blade is talking to him and he's like, thank you, my vessel, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. In the deep throes of feeding the blade... The blade calling him vessel so much irks Conan because <laughs> he refuses to be a vessel. He wants to be his own man. Very and so that's yeah. how he fights the uh, okay. psychic hold. Okay. <laughs> and he defeats the sword. The sword is orange in the same way that the Muramasa blade is red. Okay, sure. And for those who don't know, the, because I don't know why I drop random Marvel knowledge like this, but <laughs> the Muramasa blade is a sword that is forged with the evil intent and dark spirits of Wolverine that is forged yeah. into a blade. And that blade is blood red and that blade negates healing factors. Yep. Well, it turns them off for X amount of time, for a long enough time that someone could bleed out if they have a healing factor. It like cuts at the molecular level, this and the other thing. Anyway. Techno babble, not important. <laughs> te- techno science babble, Miramasa blade, requested by Wolverine, built from Wolverine's level and spirit. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see it in X of Swords next week. But Oh, right. Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a sword. It's been broken. It's 
his son Dokken has used it yeah and had it as one of his uh forged as one of his claws one of his claws which was a whole other storyline and wild it has since been removed from Dokken and it is now i believe buried by cyclops okay. and wolverine doesn't want to know where it is Anyway, the tooth of the night star is orange. Anyway, so it ends, the sixth issue ends with Conan fighting off the tooth of the night star and him being caught in a net. And like, there's this like samurai looking guys that have him captured. And it's like to be continued. And so I'm like, man, (laughs) I want (laughs) to. Do I want to continue? I want to stop reading, but I want to finish this story. Like <laughs> that's just, how they get you. I know. I just have to. I just, I'm curious how that's going to end. And then when there's a new end to a story, I'm going to stop getting the Conan Hyborian Age stuff. Okay. Because it's not six one six. It's literally just me finding out about Conan. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> okay. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Yep. Juggernaut. This is just a one shot, which I'm really sad about because I I liked it. I like what they're doing with Kane Marco in this. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it goes further. Cool. So I'll give you some background and uh, we don't have to go too deep into this because you said you're probably going to read it. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. I I don't mind. I don't mind spoilers for this. Okay. So Kane Marco is, for those who don't know, Kane Marco is Professor Xavier's half stepbrother and is not a mutant. And he is the chosen of Sidorak. He found the gem of Sidorak, and Sidorak is this like Cthulhu-like yeah. god of chaos, god of destruction. Chaos he has spirit, his, yeah. he has his own hell realm, like limbo and hell, like limbo for Belasco, Bel- yeah, yeah. Uh, limbo for Belasco slash magic, and like hell for Mephisto, and you know all the others. So two things have happened before this, and I haven't figured out if they're both if the other one is canon yet. But in Uncanny X-Men issue 21, uh-huh. Magic sends Juggernaut to Limbo. And at the same time, she removes and destroys the gym of Cinerac. Okay. Huh. And this had to, have, I think this is at or around X-Men Disassembled when they're just like clearing the slate for Hickman. Okay, yeah. Because I technically, I believe I've read that, but I don't, exactly remember it (laughs) sure so he's trapped in limbo in order to get back he sacrifices his armor to this tree and somehow it gives him a way back to 616 when he gets back he's in the hospital for for days and xavier comes and telepathically visits him from krakoa kane is like yeah thanks for checking on me i appreciate it when i'm out of here will i be able to come and hang out with you on your new little island and join the x-men again because he has been an, a member of the X-Men before. Yeah, he's been a member of the X-Men. He was, he was a member of the Thunderbolts, Luke Cage's Thunderbolts, which is more of a hero team than any of the other iterations of the Thunderbolts. Interesting. Xavier is like, I'm sorry, you know, you're not a mutant. It's a mutant you, thing, yeah. You can't set foot here, but I, I'm rooting for you and I'm proud of you and I'm really looking forward to see what you do next. So he's like, fine, okay. So we have a depowered Kane Marco. Yeah, and interesting. He goes on this. Well, I mean, in the past. So he goes. He goes on this kind of self odyssey to figure out how to get back in touch with Sidorak, and so comes across these ruins in like France. 
he finds out about the Forge of Sidorak. There's this crazy old man in the Forge of Sidorak on the side of a mountain. This guy figured out how to materialize the Crimson Bands of Sidorak and keep them stable in this realm. For those who don't know, the Crimson Bands of Sidorak is a common spell that Doctor Strange uses to bind right. people. In Infinity War, some like to pretend that all those like red whips that he that you're the, talking like, about the movie Infinity War. Yes, in, in Avengers Infinity War, when yeah. Doctor Strange is fighting Thanos, and there's like the seventy five Stranges, and they all use these yeah. red bands. Uh, these like red whips that end up turning into like a red kind of like fabric around him. Yeah. A lot of people like to say those are the crimson bands of Sidorak, but like he never says it and we don't have a juggernaut. He or is a big fan. He is a big fan of, you know, yelling out his attack names like he's a DPZ character. In the comics, not necessarily in the, comics. In the, yeah. in the movies. But anyway, point is, it's a well-known Doctor Strange spell. Crimson Bands, yeah. Sidorak, the Winds of Watum, like, yeah, <laughs> those are like his go-tos. So we have this guy that figured out how to make Crimson Bands stable and stay on Earthrealm. That guy says that he did it so he could hopefully become recognized by Sidorak and become the new Chosen. Okay. And this is what those bands look like. He's basically making, huh. he's trying to make like a kind it's of like the, a- It's a juggernaut costume, kind of. Sort of, yeah. He's trying to make kind of like a strappy suit out of the bands. So there's like a two-page fight scene between Kane and that guy. And the suit falls on Kane and he is repowered with some juggernaut-like abilities. Okay. Like he gets big again, I should say. And he has lots of red, red energy circling all around yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And then there's another flashback where he raids the facility that the... I think it's a one facility, but the shards of the Sidorak gem are kept. Okay. So with his new armor, he goes and gets the shards of Sidorak and he, it kind of looks like he huffs them, (laughs) 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 Um, but either way. Sidorak's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Right. Either way, he gets them into his body somehow and it shoots him over. Well, it, Astral projects him to Sidorak and his throne. And Sidorak's like, ah, my chosen. Welcome back. Yeah. Are you ready to wreak dis- destruction in my name again? And Kane's just like, no. Oh. And Sidorak's like, what what, do, what the fuck do you mean? And he's like, I'm I'm done doing other people's bidding just because, like, at all. Huh. He's like, I'm my own man now. I want to let you know you no longer have a connection to Earth. I'm just here just projecting And yet to he you. took the power. Right. And so it's unclear if the broken gem gave him some power or if the Crimson Bands are giving him the power. Right. But like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I'm just saying like, you seek out the power of a spirit demon, mm-hmm. right? That might be a simplification, a simplification of what Sidorak is, but let's just go with that. You seek out the power of a spirit demon. You go through all this that has been, you know, a corrupting, rage-inducing force on you in your past. And you could say, well, a lot of that rage came from him, you know, internally. Fine. That's true. But you don't think that there's going to be any strings attached in holding this power without the favor or the blessing of of this entity that grants it? 
that you straight up just walked away from, walked away from yeah. his face. You turned your back yeah. on his actual face. How dare you? <laughs> and the reason why I wonder why. Okay. So the reason why I think he's huffed it is because literally he's holding the box of the jewels. So there's the broken jewels <laughs> here. Yeah. Holds the box. He puts his face up to it. And the sound effect literally says sniff. <laughs> Wow. And just, then he like has puffing rails of Sidorak here. That yeah, is incredible. And these are some big pieces, man. <laughs> like there's the powder, but there's also big shards of the gem of Sidorak. Wow. <laughs> he legitimately sniffs the gem of Sidorak. So like, you know, maybe he's using the power of the gem and not the power of Sidorak. I don't know. But the reason why this throws me off a little bit is because in X-Men Black, which was a one shot of six single issue stories of different villains of the X-Men and what they're doing around X-Men disassembled. Right. I didn't read it, but you told me about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's pretty interesting conceptually. And I didn't know if it was going to be canon until they made a reference to the Mojo issue in Dawn of X. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. So it was just the fact that he went and found, he like went on a date. And he felt he fell for this girl. Right, right, right. It was a nonsense issue. And that's why I was like, well, this isn't going to do anything. But then they made a reference to it. So I was like, oh, shit. But anyway, yeah. In X-Men Black Juggernaut, he has a conversation with Sidorak and he's like, I'm not your pawn anymore. Like you came to me when I was unconfident. I was scared. You took advantage of all of my past sins and troubles and you bogarted my spirit. No longer. I'm my own juggernaut. No more. And then in that I'm my issue, own not. I right? will jugger for me and me alone. <laughs> in that issue, we find out that there are seven other gems of Sidorak on Earth. Oh, okay. He yeah, and he walks away into the quote unquote sunset with the mission of going and finding these other gems. Oh, cool. But we get this actual new solo title, and he's not doing that, and there's no reference to it. So now I'm curious on how that's gonna work out. Anyway, so that's all like past stuff with Jugs. The current general arc is him trying, basically trying to be good with accepting the fact that he has a, a huge, terrible reputation. Yeah. He wants to do good. He wants to figure out how to do good. And so it starts with him working for damage control. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like he'll like finish tearing down a building for super cheap kind of thing. Damage control is one of those cool ideas in the Marvel Universe for listeners unfamiliar. Basically, who cleans up after all of these crazy superhero fights? Yeah, there was going to be a damage control show yeah. set in the MCU that uh, never got off the ground that uh, I mourn that. <laughs> Weren't they obliquely referenced in Spider-Man Homecoming? Yes. So they are. So damage control is the reason why Vulture and his gang are out right. of the job because they were the your 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 go-to like cleanup crew and yeah. then damage control came in and was like uh, you know we're owned by Tony Stark he's he right. owns this place we're we're going to take care of this bye but yeah so damage control is basically the aftermath storyline right so juggernaut working for them is is awesome and hilarious because who who has who has caused more damage for them to control than him? <laughs> <laughs> right? And they so they routinely employ powered individuals, usually powered villains who want to do some good. Somebody's got to lift all that rubble. Exactly. 
And so that's where we start. And then he finishes taking down one building with zero explosives. So it's way cheaper. He offers to take down some other buildings on the block. And they're like, no, we still have some squatters in there. Um, Like, don't worry about it. Among those squatters, we have this girl who's referred to as D-Cell. And she has this superhuman ability to basically negate or remove kinetic energy, kinetic motion. Okay. Not kinetic energy because that's right. uh, She'd be like the (laughs) anti-gambit, but she can negate kinetic motion. So she could kind of try to be the anti-juggernaut. But right, yeah. Juggernaut is famously known for once he starts moving, nothing can stop him. And so they have a couple of like that. Well, they only have one really where she's going all out on him and he's still trying to go and he hasn't stopped yet, but he's yeah. going at like snail's pace. Anyway, he calls her a mutant and she keeps on saying, you know, I'm not a mutant. Like I, I got these powers from like an experiment gone wrong, this, that, and the other. And She is a YouTuber. (laughs) Okay. Except in the first issue, they call it Rocks Tube. Like Rocks On? Yes. The second issue on, they call it U Rocks. Okay. Because I believe U Rocks is an actually established YouTube replacement (laughs) in the 616. And I think they just wrote Rocks Tube in the first issue because they needed something to fill in. Right. And then they went and found out, oh, it's actually U Rocks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Roxxon being, you know, your standard faceless evil corporation. They're borderline Google. Yeah. Like but they have the search Exxon. engine. But also Exxon, yeah. They, and so like we have like Dario Agar, who is a Minotaur, who's your classic Minotaur. And <laughs> right. uh, he's I the head about that whole yeah, time. Yeah. He's the head of Roxxon and uh, he's all about finding any other form of energy that we can get. Yeah. So it has led him to be allied with baddies on in in Thor and against Thor because they'll go to other realms and other planets to harvest energy to bring back home. It has put Roxxon at odds with Atlantis because they're doing all kinds of like current and heat vents to try and steal the energy from there. It's just like Roxxon is your classic. We need a faceless bad guy company. We'll use Roxxon. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Them and the brand corporation. Yeah, yeah brand, brand corporation. Alchemax is another one. Alchemax is specifically a Spider-Man one. No one ever uses yeah. them. Uses them otherwise. Even though Alchemax is the big bad in 2099, and has been <laughs> established apparently that 2099 is superpositioned to 616, and it will always be in 616. But whatever has no, even the, <laughs> even though. Even though Miguel O'Hara, twenty Spider Man twenty ninety nine is from Earth sixty five and not Earth six one six, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> moving on. We're moving anyway, on. That was we're moving super on. Super tangent. After the first battle with D Cell, she teams up with Juggernaut to uh, live stream all of their comings and goings and all this other stuff. You have an issue with Immortal Hulk, which basically just establishes that Juggernaut feels guilty for all the damage that he's done. And then you Mm. have another issue where the construction company that... Okay, are you familiar with when Hulk and Spider-Man fought? (laughs) No, which time? (laughs) Yeah, right? So classically, Hulk and Spider-Man fought. And and it's funny because they made a reference to this in the last volume of Amazing Spider-Man. But when they fought, Spider-Man trapped the Hulk 
I mean, trapped Juggernaut in a giant pool of uh, wet cement. Oh, oh, the the sorry, you said Spider Man. I did Hulk. say Hulk. Yes. I said Hulk. Okay, yeah, no, Spider when, Spider-Man when Juggernaut and, and Juggernaut. Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, the classic fight. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 Juggernaut and Spider Man fought, that's how he kept them. Yeah. And, and and so we have an issue where the guy that owned the construction company that they stole the cement from is suing Juggernaut because the oh company went bankrupt because of all the oh cement that God. they used very stretched but that scene gets cut off by an attack by quicksand who is basically female sandman okay quicksand is being controlled by somebody and they figure out that the controller one is arnim zola which is super random sure classic captain america villain super scientist is now <laughs> not currently an a, ai in a robot brain yeah nazi nazi mad scientist in a giant robot classically looks like krang from ninja yeah. turtles because his face is in the torso of the robot yeah. for some reason but anyway so quicksand is being controlled by arnim zola arnim zola is working out of this place called the dungeon max penitentiary which is a secret for-profit superhuman prison so you've got the raft You've got <laughs> you've got the Triskelion. You have uh, the Cube, I think, is one, and you have Dungeon Max Penitentiary. Sure. So they are doing superhuman experiments to learn and adapt, basically, the good fight to combat other superhuman villains. For example, the there's the war. You get introduced to the warden. He just says, "I'm the warden." He has elite guards who have the DNA of Swarm and Toad grafted to their genome matrix. Okay. So Swarm, we know, is the yeah. Nazi scientist turned skeleton. <laughs> so many Nazi scientists. Turned, <laughs> turned beehive. <laughs> Can you tell people what Toad's mutant abilities are? He's a frog man. Yeah. He jumps and tongue and etc. He, and he's distasteful looking, kind of gross. He can spit like oh like yeah goo, they right? did they did add that eventually. I think that was a secondary mutation. Well, there you go. So these guards with the DNA of Swarm and Toad have bees that they control, and those bee stings have a paralytic agent from the Toad DNA to basically control their like. Okay. They're prisoners, which is an ingenious idea. I like yeah. that's some Cyclops level shit <laughs> <laughs> of blending two powers that exist in the 616. So they storm the penitentiary, they stop Juggernaut with the paralytic agent, and he's like, Oh, are those uh stabilized crimson bands? I would love to study those because <laughs> we could we could use those for police, for military, hell, even the NFL. <laughs> And I was like, damn, like immediately thinking of commercial uses of people's abilities. Just, man, you only ever see that, gosh, an easy memory. I've only ever seen that like maybe two other times. (laughs) (laughs) So that ends with Juggernaut's like, I can get out of here whenever I want. D-Cell, you can't. Because we're there in a giant flying fortress that looks like a helicarrier. He's like, I'll survive the fall. You won't. So you need to accept that you're a mutant and claim Krakoan amnesty so you, so they can take you back to Krakoa. Yeah. She's like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not a mutant. I'm not a mutant. He's like, you need to accept this. <laughs> she finally like says, okay, you know, my name is Miranda Manuel. 
I'm a mutant. I request asylum on Krakoa. Mm. So by international law, they have to let her go. Juggernaut gets himself out. And while they're waiting for Krakoa to come and pick them up, they have a little scene in a diner where she's talking about how, like, you know, if I accept the fact that I'm a mutant, then I have to cope with the fact that when my mutant ability manifested, it killed my parents. Oh, shit. And so she's just been denying this the whole time. So she now accepts her mutant identity and that her parents' deaths are her fault. So now she is a new resident of Krakoa. And there's this like buddy dialogue between Kane and Tom and Black Tom on the couple of times that he's been around with Krakoa. And they just like, uh-huh. and this has to be early days of Krakoa because one Black Tom is not all planified out and okay, he's talking yeah. like a normal person. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like, it's all just, he's all just like, you know, really good to see you, Tom. I wish I could go there with you. He's like, yeah, but you're not a mutant. Yeah. He's like, I know, I know. Yeah. So Xavier introduces her to Krakoa and so Nash is off on Krakoa. And it ends with Juggernaut inspiring and trying to make a new team of people that, like, I feel like if we work on our own, this isn't going to happen, but I think we could do some good. Let's keep each other honest. So cool. uh, it's Juggernaut, Quicksand, Primus, who is a malleable plastic android created by Arnim Zola. Never even heard of him. Yeah, just think of <laughs> think of Mr. Fantastic, but all yellow. Okay. And no hair. Sure. Arnim Zola is also on this team, but he's a reluctant member, and I don't think he's going to be on the roster going forward. Okay. Because it says, like, for the last thing, it says, a new beginning, parentheses, except not with the Nazi scientist. So... Uh, right now it's the four of them <laughs> the last scene is the four of them Barnum Zola is probably out so it's going to start with three and I'm really excited to see where this goes nice awesome the last thing I read was this Fantastic Four antithesis right yeah it's only four issues and it wasn't that great okay it was basically something appeared from a rift in space that wasn't the it came from the dimensional fabric between the positive realm and the negative zone. So apparently there's a space in between there. <laughs> the medium zone. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, it shows up it's and finds... Pop- you, you've seen The Good Place, right? Yes. Yeah. Is it populated yeah. by a horny cocaine monster woman who... <laughs> <laughs> so random. I, that, that show was surprisingly fun. All-time favorite for me, honestly. Like, really? I absolutely love that show. Dude, like, I swear by Shit's Creek. Okay. I haven't watched it. It's hilarious, but it is, like, so there's, like, the four main characters, their family, and I've okay. never seen a TV show with more character growth for all four main characters. Oh, cool. Than in Shit's Creek. Wow. It's, it's a beautiful story. <laughs> I, I love mean, that show so much. Similar thing, I feel, for uh, Good Place, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good place. Good place. Well, it did, maybe it's because of the actors. I don't know. It, it, did you did, watch all did, four seasons? Yes, I did watch all four okay, seasons. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It didn't hit, I guess, for me as much as sure. Shit's Creek did. I think I, I also loved Parks and Rec just like yeah, me too. deeply, deeply, deeply. Yeah, Parks so. and Rec was great. Also great character growth in that show. Parks and Rec is actually the reason why I watch these like sitcom comedy shows Interesting. anymore. Yeah. Because I was like, well, 
if Parks and Rec can be amazing, then I'm sure there's going to be some other ones, right? <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like New Girl and Shit's Creek have been my go-tos. New Girl okay. has its ups and downs. It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't have as much character growth as Shit's Creek does. Sure. Anyway. Okay, so Fantastic Four. So this thing comes out of that dimensional in-between place, and it is labeled as the antithesis. Mm-hmm. It basically, within minutes of appearing, it like processes, it has a giant hole in its stomach. Basically, it processes Galactus and like destroys him and leaves just Galen. Jeez. Yeah. And so the antithesis is going around and kind of took Galactus's place, going to inhabited planets. And instead of eating them, he is feeding them and giving and overriding their bodies with negative life force and making them like just negative people. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And <laughs> this entire storyline lasts for four issues. So it's, it's, it's not worth really getting into the house, but shenanigans, negative zone, Nihilus, Silver Surfer trying to help this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four get to Galactus's ship, which I used to know the name of. Ta? I don't remember. Anyway. Sure. You could have said anything. Yeah. <laughs> I would have believed it. Gal- Galen is from Ta, so that's not what the okay. ship is called. But anyway, are you familiar with Galen, that story? Because I just kind of name dropped it. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's his, his like previous universe before he was Galactus. He was Galen. Yes. Yeah, Galen of Ta from his planet. He was basically the Jor-El of Ta and was like, the universe is going to end. We need to save ourselves. And then he's the sole yeah. survivor of that universe. He was yeah. there at the Big Bang. And he is also the Black Winter's Herald and <laughs> and all this other stuff. And he has a power cost. No, anyway. I'm actually, I'm actually really, really glad that you gave this uh, this background for reasons I'll explain later. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so back on the ship, we have the Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, and Galen, and they're coming up with a way to fight this new antithesis. Galen gives all four members of Fantastic Four the power cosmic. Wow. And they get redesigned poorly. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> they're just shiny. They're basically just shiny. Also, yeah. Sue gets like little antenna. Uh-huh. It's like the sh- shiny Pokemon version of of all four Fantastic Basically. Four members. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. kind of annoying because so Johnny Storm is familiar with the ship because he has been the Herald of Galactus before. In that, when he had the power cosmic, he had this is when Sue and Johnny's powers were switched, and so he had this invisibility thing, and the power cosmic made it so he could like read the history of what he looks at, and that's how we find out about the story of Galen and where Galactus comes from. Yada yada yada. Okay. Anyway, so we don't reference that at all, other than the fact that Johnny knows that the ship exists. I guess. Okay. The reason why I point that out is because the teams are split into teams of two. Galen and Reed stay on the ship to try to figure out a way to deal with the antithesis. You have Sue and Silver Surfer going to one. Apparently, the antithesis has only hit two planets, by the way. But you have Sue and Silver Surfer going to one planet to siphon off all of the negative energy that was given to them by the antithesis. And then you have Johnny and Ben going and doing the same thing on another planet. Okay. 
Sue is exploring her cosmic abilities and she finds out that other than going invisible, she can also make them go intangible. Johnny and Ben are on the second planet and Johnny finds out that his cosmic mutation is that he can shoot ice also. Okay. Ben is trying to figure out what his ability is and it looks like that the people he punches, he can basically mind control and turn them against each other. <laughs> that seems like a much bigger stretch than the other two. Like yeah. invisible, intangible. Okay. It's very different, <laughs> you know, properties of physics, but I see what you're getting at. Fire, ice. Okay. That makes perfect sense. You've got a thermal thing going on. Uh-huh. And then you've lost me. Okay. Sure. It's cosmic. Sure. It's yeah, cosmic yeah. abilities that he's only going to have for another issue. So, right. <laughs> so they gather the energy. Mr. Fantastic figures out how to rewire the entire ship to absorb the energy, use it to shoot and destroy the antithesis. Also channels the original cosmic energy back into the ship to um, give Galen the Galactus abilities back. However, mm-hmm. He instead uses it to change himself into Galactus. Oh, boy. So now we have a Reed Richards. Reed Lactus. Yeah. Reed Lactus. Oh, Me, Mr., as far as Mr. timing, yeah. this is set weeks after Valeria was born. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I thought this was going to be a new story, and it's not. Oh, okay. Huh. And then, so we have, so basically, Reed's idea is that... Because this is set back when Valeria was first born, we haven't established that Galactus is a cosmic constant and brings balance to the universe. And so he's only seen as this malevolent force and the universe would be better off without him. So he right. wants to take on the Galactus ability and powers and then starve himself to death. Huh. And that's his idea for removing Galactus from the universe. It ends with the family pleading to him and the kids showing up and being like, Daddy, what are you doing? And he's like, you're right. I need to focus on my children. I need to be both a hero and a dad. Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And so he gives the powers back to Galen. Oh, also, Galen didn't want the powers because he was finally free of the hunger. Oh. There's also that. But he so he forces it on Galen again. And then, so the like... Ooh, is Reed somehow, when he gives his power back, he gives Galen a little something extra. And it's a tiny fragment of his conscience, an infinitesimal seed too small to notice, but with luck not so small that it can't find root somewhere within Galactus's vast being. And it has Galactus coming to a planet and he sees that there's a whole bunch of life on the planet and Galactus chooses to go somewhere else. Hmm. It's like, okay. (laughs) Interesting. So, and like, that is something that you could totally run with. Yeah, yeah. Just be like, listen, like Galactus has a conscience now and through Reed's manipulation, there has been a disruption in the balance of the universe, this and the other. I think they could do something with that. Sure. I'm just not the quality of story writer (laughs) or teller that... uh, could really make it a thing but it could happen <sighs> anyway that's that i've been talking for so long but <laughs> we'll save. we'll save good Iron on man you for man later. okay sounds good you ready for nomon let's do some nomon man all right so this is chapter nine titled i'll give you a counter narrative 
And remember Oliver Smith in the Diana Hunter interrogation was talking about introducing a counter narrative to pull all of the disparate strands, narrative threads back together and recohere mm-hmm. Diana. So it's a sans serif chapter and I'm trying to restrain myself from just quoting the whole thing. But uh, let me let me just read the first page for you here real quick. The universe has cancer. It has one tiny, appallingly deadly tumor which cannot be excised. In the future, the tumor will expand and it will eat into the universe until there is nothing left. And then the cancer will be the universe, but we won't be in it. We'll be dead. And in fact, we'll never have existed at all because the cancer will have swallowed time and unraveled it. And nothing which has ever happened in this universe will exist anymore, not even as history. There's a certain justice in that because it's what our universe did in order to come into existence in the first place. It devoured what was here before, although you can't really say that because whatever was here before never existed and there was no such places here. You can see this cannibalistic behavior up and down the cosmic scale, with stars and microbes and so on all eating their parents. There's a kind of spider which basically does the same thing. It's a perfectly ordinary event in the life cycle of the universe, but obviously it's unpleasant if it happens to be your universe that is being erased. And I don't really care if the next universe is going to be a kind of heaven where everybody is happy and there's no pain and no wickedness. I don't care if the next universe is the perfect one and this one is warped and disgusting. If other universes and their selfish little bubbles of reality give it a wide berth because it mutters to itself and it smells. I don't care if the universe I was born in is the leper universe and the next one is the Christ. Fuck the next universe. Just fuck it. I don't like it and I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it and I'm going to hollow it out and we are all going to live inside its corpse like a hermit crab in a shell. And I'm going to do the same to the one after that and the one after that and so on forever and ever. And that makes me some sort of monster, but I don't care. I am Nomon, occasionally called the Eschatogenesist like eschatology, eschatogenesist, or sometimes the desperation protocol. Come with me if you want to live. Wow. Okay. So Noman is now a character, and I'm glad that you uh, gave that background on Galactus surviving a previous universe and going to the next one. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So this is how the chapter starts. This is how the chapter starts. This is a sans serif. This is a sans serif monologue. But we, (laughs) this is the first time, and I may be trying to dig in too much, but like, this is the first time we've had a character referred to personally as Nomon. Yes. And, but this could also just be a title that he gives himself. It could be someone that we've already been introduced to. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get into a little bit more of the, the backstory in the chapter. But yes, these are all valid questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This, I mean, just the, the perspective on the universe is so interesting. Yeah. Like, I feel like the way that he just addresses the existence of universes coming after universes coming after universes, like, I feel like it's got to be a different, there's got to be a different definition of what a universe is. I don't know. Like, I feel like uh, it's interesting in that it's it's not a sequential idea of universes. You know, it's not like the mm-hmm. universe, the next universe and the previous universe and all that, which seems a little limited because, again, the universe contains time. And so uh-huh. so whatever the conception is, whether it's like a, a sort of you know, neoplatonic model of like realms sitting above and below each other, like transcending 
upwards or whatever, or whether it's like like the simulation thing that we kind of discussed in the last chapter or whether it's on a microbial scale explodes into like a, a like a microverse kind of thing, you know, where there's like actual universes existing within universes. Right. Just on a, you know, a difference of scale that we can't really comprehend. Whatever it is, I think all of those kind of fit with whatever we're talking about here. And then this obsession with surviving the universe and moving on to the next, Nomon calls water falling. And I have a quote for that here real quick. A waterfaller is a hypothetical traveler from another universe, presumably an older, more broken one, entering our own. It might be an object propelled through the walls of reality by accident or spat out by some retrograde discontinuity and diffused into our continuum. There's the theory that says such ejecta keep our universe young, meaning that it won't decay into senescence as quickly as we might think. There's another that says the punctures in our fabric is what makes the universe so unstable. In the more sophisticated and unlikely construction, a waterfaller might be an intelligence, traveling under its own impetus. It might be something in between, invested with an alternative style of awareness that is neither lifeless nor conscious, but something else, the way a fungus is neither an animal nor a plant. A true waterfaller is a resource and a threat that I cannot ignore, even if it's just the littoral end of some cosmic sluice. Such a vagrant might theoretically possess a significantly more advanced understanding of reality than I have, and therefore might know how to win my war, although given the strategy they have adopted as one of flight, they would lack either the know-how or the will to consume a hatching, a hatching universe because they'd have done that instead. A waterfowler might be like me, looking for a way out, in which case there is always the possibility that my universe might be their way out, that they propose to do much the same as I would, in the same circumstances, stepping forward through a gateway that they have made and preparing to unpick the threads of everything and reestablishing their own place. In the best or worst case, our causality is already circular and it would be actually me entering the nascent universe to reconfigure it in my own favor, at which point it's possible that me Okay, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself here <laughs> because I need to talk about what Nomon is. Nomon describes their backstory here a little bit. In this chapter? In this chapter. So Nomon, the character, exists in a future time long after the sun is burned out where humanity has transcended the limitation of a single physical body. It mentions some real-world, 2021 real-world tech that apparently acts as a predecessor. Two rats in 2014 that shared one mind over a wire 3,000 miles long, and a man in Japan who can read your dreams from your head with a machine. I googled both and I found news stories, and I'll add those to the show description. Yep, real life, real life uh, events, news stories. Anyway, so all humans in No Man's Time upload across dozens or hundreds of different instances, many separate cloned bodies living across different planets or galaxies, all of which are able to communicate via thought through entanglement instantly, instantaneously. And they essentially act as one big composite brain. So kind of phalanxy. Mm -hmm. And... Nomon isn't quite this same post-human vision, though, because but it's going to take a minute to explain exactly what <laughs> to start. Nomon explains the futuristic crime called wet jacking. So everyone, you know, has all these different instances, all these different bodies, right? In wet jacking, one such body is severed from its overarching mind and held incommunicado, an incapable semi-person with enough awareness to be afraid and alone. 
The wet jacker then takes advantage of this suggestible state to force a new alternate connection, integrating the experience and memories of the kidnapped body into his or her own mind, stealing a fragment of personality and selfhood and swallowing them. In primitive terms, a little of the target's soul. Espionage is sometimes conducted this way, but wet jacking can also be motivated by simple boredom. It's a way to get high, and in fact, some rather bohemian societies at the edge of what is termed the continuance. It's even a sort of rite of passage, a way of counting coup. Yeah, you, you basically kidnap a person and force them into, or uh, one body from, uh, which we would consider a person now. But they've evolved so far beyond that, that a person is the collective of bodies, not the individual instance and incorporating that into your own. Then there's all sorts of like, you know, sometimes once detached from the wet jacker, the instance spent so long in a legal limbo that it developed a unique identity and sued successfully to avoid returning to its original. This process is not unknown when units are accidentally separated from the whole and is called calving after the same phenomenon in glaciers. A calf is generally regarded as the equivalent of a child, although some see it as a belated twin. Then he says, there is a little known negative version of wet jacking that has no formal name, and this one I find morally intriguing. It is difficult and dangerous, and in the most profound sense, self-defeating. The aspirant criminal places all base thoughts and desires into one body, slowly forcing that brain to accept memories of pain or humiliation, impulses to violence and wrongdoing, collecting all that is unwanted in the life. That body is then ejected from the connection, and mostly euthanized. Such collections of wicked selfhood, uh, but, you know, every once in a while, the euthanization doesn't take place for whatever reason. And you end up with this person who's just completely torn off from any love or kindness or good emotions ever in their life and has been just stuffed full of bad. So such collections of wicked selfhood characteristically possess more animus than ordinary loan fragments and are therefore more aware and more capable. Daring escapes and subsequent pursuits are not unknown, and where both originator and scapegoat are identified, there is a naughty question of whether they should be unwillingly reunited. In the event that they are not, the scapegoat itself presents society with a fresh difficulty. In some few cases, the interaction of different pains and rages in their new setting produces an almost saintly character, while oftentimes the thing left behind, remembering, as it were, being raised on sweetmeats and experiencing only love, will prove itself unselfish and unpleasant. But for the most part, the scapegoats are unbalanced and dangerous. They may assert and find a legal right in their separate existence, but their nature is to build empires, lay low nations, and express their anger through the infliction of suffering on those who offend them. The possession of a multitude of physical bodies does not diminish the experience of pain. The 20 other instances of a man whose local presence is having an index finger crushed in a vice will all scream, and so scapegoats are dangerous and frightening even now. Several of modern history's most more ruthless and violent crooks have been scapegoats who somehow eluded capture and then took over someone else's life, vanishing from society until they were ready to do something truly appalling. And so, yeah, so what do you do? It's one of our greatest dilemmas. What to do with those who don't fit into the most inclusive environment of which humanity is capable? 
to this quandary, and remember, this is kind of the idea behind the monitoring bill as well. Mm -hmm. To this quandary, a solution was inevitably created. A remote place was given over to healing and transcendence with the equal inevitability that the place become a scapegoat in its own right, so that to it were, not were sent not only criminal minds, but also anyone else who did not fit, who took actions which, while in no sense Ill illegal or immoral, were too unsettling to contemplate, who pursued thoughts or philosophies considered dangerous by those who did not share them. And finally, there went also the outcasts and the drifters, by dint of that strange human gravity which at certain times appoints one place the locus of all that is odd and ill-suited and from a bubbling pool of psychological toxins periodically ejects genius. Thus it was not only a hospital for the violently insane but also a skunk works, a commune and a school of art. We called it the last house. So finally here we get the origin of Noman and it says on the edge of everything, there was the last house, and in that house lived all the forlorn, too strange flotsam of that broken, perfect world. And the people there, emancipated criminal selves, poets and upcyclers, dreamers and recidivists, they simply could not forget. By accident, they ended up the knowers of a secret truth in plain sight, which no one else would acknowledge. They knew about endings, and they were afraid, and they chose to do something about it. They voted and embraced one last time at separate persons. Then they let down all their security measures in their walls and accepted one another's thoughts. They shared sins and sorrows and aspirations, all the muck and trivia of all those lives, all the dark secrets they were ashamed of, all the joy and love and fear, above all the fear and the anger and the singularity of purpose that could induce every last one to transcend self and become other, to become what they needed to be, a new thing that was all at once a mind, a weapon, and a redoubt. Me. I am Noman, sometimes called the Ten Thousand Eyes, spelled A-Y-E-S and sometimes the endlessly rising canon, spelled with two N's. I remember what it was like to be separate, to be the sum of only one life. I remember what it was like to be in a community and to feel supported, included, cared for, cared for. to feel that even so, it wasn't quite enough. I remember how it felt to be defeated by problems, to suffer doubt and indecision, to fear. I remember those things, but I don't experience them anymore. So, so, <laughs> so Noman is a collective hive mind of all of the discarded negative thoughts and insecurities of humanity. Yes. That's all been sent, that survived each individual euthanization that are housed now in the last house. Well, they, in the last house, they decided, you know what, we're going to merge our consciousnesses and become yeah. one. They all voted for it and they're like, let's, let's do and this. And so now they are a multi-planetary, you know, multi-instance being like everything else, but they all come from, all the instances are governed by the shared consciousness rather than them each being an individual. Yeah. And they are all collectively, singularly concerned and obsessed with the end of the universe and how to survive it. And so hence the, the conversation about waterfallers. And so Noman, when talking about waterfallers here, says that it's very likely that when I come across a waterfaller, it's me, like, you know, through some calving process or, or you know, that I've come for full circle and actually found another instance or another basically expression of myself quote here, at which point it's possible that me and I would have a problem 
or we might find common ground, or perhaps communication with the true waterfaller is impossible, and to attempt it is the height of futility, however things may seem. So, yeah. At the beginning, when he was talking about the universe restartings and all that, he had mentioned that he refuses to go to the next universe, right? He wants to keep this universe going so the next one can't start again. Noman, I think more than anything, Noman wants to survive. Right. And so being a waterfaller seems like the not preferred solution. Noman would rather, yeah, destroy the next universe to maintain the current one. But, you know, it, it basically the way Noman describes it, it's about choosing fight over flight. But it's not because, you know, it, it's more just about survival than anything else. I've been jumping around a bit here because it has been interspersing all of these like flashbacks and origin and, and uh, all that between plot. So I kind of gave you all the background first. So let's get into the plot of the chapter here. Because of all this, Nomon feels itself to be very different from the rest of post-human humanity. Being pro-social single con- them being pro-social single consciousness is an origin. Nomon says there's only one other being that they would call something like a friend, and that's Zegreus. Before we go into the new character, it's name symbolism mythology watch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zagreus. I'm sure anybody who's played the game Hades is somewhat familiar with a version mm. of the Zagreus myth. Zagreus is the name of the main character in that game. A little more disputed origin in the actual mythology. In the game, Zagreus is the son of Hades. In the actual mythology, it's a little more disputed whether Zagreus is the son of Hades or the son of Zeus. But either way, Persephone is, is Zagreus's mother. Quote from the book here, The name Zagreus comes from the Ionian word Zagra, meaning a pit for the capture of live prey. The original Zagreus was eaten by titans, and his heart, gestating in a mortal woman, became the god of wine and madness. That's Dionysus. It is safe to assume that mothers do not generally call their children Zagreus. That's something you do to yourself if you want to advertise your terrible socialization to your peers. The Zagreus myth has a lot of parallels with the Egyptian god Osiris, if you're following sort of Neith Isis, Egyptian mythology train. Zagreus, the character, is nicknamed Z by Nomon, just the letter Z, is of course totally different from all this. <laughs> it says, in all the worlds and places I know, in all the babble of connected post-humanity, there's really only one person I truly feel is like me, the mad planet called Zagreus. Zagreus isn't actually a planet. It's just that the planet on which it lives is only occupied by Zagreus, a single mind inhabiting every organism living on the whole world. Z receives visitors from time to time and provides them, myself included, with bright, clean bodies to walk around in as a practical courtesy, but it's a temporary situation only. When you breathe there, you're breathing Zagreus, taking in its tiny microscopic selves, and, and that has consequences. If you stay for too long, you start to bleed into the mosaic of consciousness that is Zagreus all around you. You see visions, hear things. Zagreus sends shoots into you. It can't help it. I don't object because the nature of my identity is more resilient than most, but for other people it is alarming and even dangerous. 
I am Noman. In the end, that statement is so fundamental that it endures. If the planet swallowed me entirely, it would inevitably take on my concern, my obsession, if you like, with the extinction of all things. And in doing so, it would become Noman. I would be changed and I would expand and the resulting thing would both be more me and more Z. I'm sure we've both considered what that would be like, the way old friends sometimes wonder if they should try to kindle a romance. But in the end, perhaps too, it is too great a risk for either of us. Neither of us became what we are by accident. For others, well, they might end up swallowed, inhaled, almost by accident, digested into the stew of Z's body-mind. So Zagreus. Dude, uh, he's... Um, Ego. I know there's a counterpart. Yeah. But, yeah. Not, but not a planet. But not. Right. <laughs> like, I kept on thinking of Ego, but I feel like there was... Just John Sublime, kind of. Wow, okay. So he has... <laughs> Every single being on the planet is yeah. in the same consciousness, yep. including the microscopic organisms. Mm-hmm. This just shot to like a whole different level of like, yes, different level of science fiction. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. Remember when you said, oh, yeah, I, I feel like this is the fourth episode of the anime and I kind of see the whole shape of it. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling about that now? What the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> Nomon tells the story of a time where there is a Zagreus outbreak on another planet in which the entire North Polar region became infected and started building a creepy alabaster cave like one Nomon visits shortly. Described here, it says, I'm in an alabaster cavern full of white bodies still in quiet. This is, spoiler alert, going ahead a little bit when. So Zagreus invites Nomon to visit for something important, won't say what. Nomon is curious spend some time protecting from possible whatever infection and goes in, gets a cloned body and says, uh, I'm in an alabaster cavern full of white bodies, still and quiet. It's like an underwater cave full of blind fish, yet each and every one of them can see me and knows I am not like them. Each and every one of them amounting to exactly one in the end. I think of sea anemones on a coral reef and a clownfish nestling in their stingers and wonder what will happen if my mucus doesn't pass muster. Well, I'll get stung and it will hurt and then I'll be back to where I was again. None the worse. And I'll save I'll have to uproot the little bits of Z left behind in me and burn them out. Zagreus is redecorated. There are burning torches on the walls in place of electric light and they burn with a pale flame that makes everything a little two-dimensional and strange. I said I like Z, and I do, but that's not to say I don't also recognize it's a predator of sorts. Another quote on Z here, just because it's so interesting. It has occurred to me from time to time that Z might be an actual alien or a machine intelligence that has crossed the recursion gap and become truly alive. There's something about it that goes beyond the inherent oddness of being an autophagous planetary consciousness and touches another level of wrongness, something that involves a deep, skittering fear of the dark. So goes to the Zagreus planet and even for the baseline weirdness of Z, once Nomon gets there, something feels off. It says feels dopplered as if it's coming and going at the same time, compressing as it speaks and then etiolating as it listens. Another quote. For a while, I walk through fields of waving corn. There are animals with young frisking in the rich growth, and they're growing fat. At the base of the trees lining the cornfield, a few fruits have fallen to the ground and are seething with flies. And the flies are being eaten by spiders, and the spiders by birds, and the birds by something small and toothy and clever that doesn't show its face. And every last one of them is pale to the point of translucent, like the belly of a fish. 
Me too, in fact. Uh, a weird white face, white skin, long limbs, androgynous, which I'll take to be a courtesy for now. So making me think of witnessed and the weird look of white people there. And also Claren wrote. And then just moving along with all the quotes, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Carnival is beauty. Beauty is truth. Truth is timeless. The voice speaks to me from somewhere away in the distance, sighing. Z likes to play with perspective, with location, to make you forget that it's all over you, all around you, that it doesn't have a single locus you can get cross with. What do you want? Solutions, Z says, moth wing lips against my ear. Universal solutions, time-like threads and universal solvent, tears of panacea, doors and wheels. Speak English or I'm going home. I have a door. Inside, outside, living la vida loca, not loca at all. Tempora, a tempora. Tempora? You can't be serious. Shall I show you? Incoherent and quoting old song lyrics. Really, really old song lyrics. I should sign out now, go home, and come back when Zagreus has regularized its thoughts. But a tempora? You've got a time machine? A wash of disapproval. Chitinous fingers closing my lips. Dressmaker's widow. window. No jokes. There's no such thing, not that deserves the name. And yet, a door, a vantage, an angle, a perspective. Yes, for you, for a price, forever, yes. Nomon travels, does something for me, Nomon is transformed. Blue, morpho, beautiful, atlas, vast, death's head if you prefer. Nomon becomes whatever Nomon becomes. The river shapes around the rock and not the rock worn away by the river. The universe has changed, was always that way in the slipstream. Water falling, Myoshu. If you remember, Myoshu is the word that the Asian billionaire who Kyriakos played go with in, um, <laughs> in the Kyriakos chapter used the word Myoshu to describe the game Go. Anyway, Nomon says, and there it is, or rather there something is. In the middle of the village, there's a strange open structure, like a wireframe sketch of a room, and five panels hanging on the frame. Water falling where? Water falling from upper ocean to the lower. Blood and silver, the shark in the water, a hero's journey. Apocatastasis and catabasis, no reward without risk, nothing without price, not even anti-finality. Water falling, can you hear it? Water falling. And as I listen, with the part of me that is touching Zagreus's long, strange mind, I realize that I can. So that's the Chamber of Isis being described as the time machine right there. The five panels, like the wireframe of a room, a strange open structure. I thought that the Chamber of Isis was shaped like an egg. Yeah, egg, room, a place that you can go inside. It, it's concept. it's concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It says, um, I walk towards the frame that Zagreus called the Chamber of Isis. In the heart of it is something odd that resists my eyes. White light, black shadow, but all in the wrong places, as if they've forgotten their roles. Not a machine, a location defined by the absence of location in space or time. A conjunction of things and places, patterns and presences. Omnipresence along its temporal axis. Every second of its existence is adjacent to every other part. Thus, a time machine of sorts. The issue is cartography, navigation. If you remember, the, one of Diana Hunter's books was called The Mad Cartographer's Garden. Another was called The Five Cardinals of Z. Oh, Z. Huh. Yeah. Nomon says, yes, of course, they want the chamber because, you know, dying universe and all. And, you know, potentially existing outside of time as a way to 
elide the the death of the universe by just kind of hopping around and embodying a less time-bound existence. And then Nomon says, I want it. Of course I want it. Zagreus says, then you must do something for me. What? You must kill the banker, the alchemist, the artist, and the librarian. I think it was librarian. It might have been hunter. These... These were not words but coordinates, complex signs with a meaning of identity, location, and time. Names that denote sense and reference in perfect alignment, conjunction. In fact, I understood in a way I never have before. Has Z put itself in my head so that this conversation will make sense to me? Am I thinking as myself or using its mind? And if so, how will that affect my choice? Well, I am Nomon. Agree to do that, and it's yours. The whole thing. Forever. The moth voice is gone, into the haze, and I'm left with the chamber of Isis and the itching awareness of Zagreus's tendrils in my borrowed brain. Forever is an idea, and it keeps saying forever as two words. Forever is an idea with many shades of meaning. Water falling. Water falling, also two words. So. Okay, so what are the four things he has to kill? The alchemist, the artist, something, and the banker? The banker and the librarian. The librarian, but he thinks he might have actually said the hunter. Yeah. So pretty obvious who the banker, the alchemist, and the artist are, right? That's Kyriakos, Athenaeus, and, and Barry Hoon. The librarian slash hunter seems like Diana Hunter, but also Neith is... I, saying, I feel like Neith is more of a librarian right now. And more of a hunter. I mean, or not, you know, she's hunting down. She's the investigator. It's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. And her name, Mieliki and Neith, are both goddesses of the hunt. Noamon says, yeah, of, of course I'm going to do this. I must go kill the banker, the alchemist, the artist, and the librarian. I have no problem with that at all. You could justify what I will do by saying it's a small sacrifice in order to preserve really absurd numbers of other people, and it is. But that's not why I don't care. I don't care because I don't care. But Noman is curious. Just because that said, just because I don't care doesn't mean about the people, doesn't mean I don't care about any of this. So Grace is offering me something massive. It follows that the curious price must be worth the item. And I don't want to discover too late that Z is suicidal and wants me to turn the whole of causality into its Viking funeral. I ask why. It's an unpopular question. The gut of this body, full of intestinal microbes that are all Zagreus, sours and heaves. Zagreus says, That's my price. Yes, I want to know why. I feel something moving in this borrowed head, moths laying eggs, but if it's an answer, it's in a language I don't understand. Nomon asks, Z? Zagreus responds, It is to be desired. By you. You desire the chamber, you will accept, of course. To imagine otherwise is to waste, ellipsis, time. Scratching laughter. Yes, Z, very droll. Z is right, of course. There is in the end no prospect of me walking away from all this. So there we go. The counter note. <laughs> the mission is on. Nine hours of preparation with all sorts of techno babble that I can read you if you're interested to basically protect Nomon's consciousness through this process. And then it's on. It says, I walk into the middle of this primitive ramshackle frame that is the chamber of Isis. And there we are. After a while, I say, is this thing on? Then it is. I'll just quote the rest of the chapter here. (laughs) 
Imagine a perfectly elegant machine parting your skull and unwrapping the precious involutions of your brain into individual strands so that they can be cleaned and washed and healed and reassembled exactly as they are. Imagine infinitesimal fingers, kind and cool, raveling up the softness that is you, supporting every link in the chain of consciousness and caressing the most agitated nerves so that even this terrifying touch is a pleasure, the most intimate and most comforting of interventions, like a true love's hand laying balsams upon an infected wound. Imagine that you could know to a mathematical certainty that every aspect of your identity is being preserved and kept close so that the whole appalling operation loses no data, not even blood from the cuts around your skull, not even a single cell of your skin. Imagine that the repair, the weld, the weave were all without flaw and you could relax into the loving dark and know that when the day is done in the strange rummaging presence you cannot directly see and yet perceive with some unheralded sense, some facet of proprioception or quintessential bodily integrity, when all that is done, you will be as you were and yet more yourself. You will be uplifted and sluiced out and washed so that every functioning part is better than it was. You will play the piano faster, laugh more, laugh more readily, think more clearly, love more truly. So it kind of sounds like the promise of surgery, the, the interrogation, right? And what the witness can do for people both through the psychic surgery and under interrogation and all that. So it says, would not that be a wonderful, transformative, affirmative thing? Hold the thought in your mind, the unequivocal feeling of benignant perfection. Now understand with the same fervor, the same awareness of your own vulnerable extension as you lie upon the table, spread out like a butterfly from the open edge of your bone casement, that the surgical machine has broken, that all the doors and windows of the operating theater are open to the gray polluted sky, and the inrushing gusts of a storm come grit and bird shit, fine particular matter from dirty engines, viruses and bacteria and fungi and parasites, gross fragments of vegetation and gravel zinging and pinging around the room like shot. And now in the arachnoid arms of the machine ripple and flourish the slurrying essence of your body's emergent self so that all the spare attachments and medical instruments are sucked into a vortex by the howling wind and the riding and riding the squall come hungry gulls and burrowing carnivorous ants. The clean, glistening surfaces of you are marinated and grimed, pecked and invaded, stolen for the hexagonal incubators of blind larvae, or just digested where they lie. And yet, you live. You live and you continue to think and be aware. You feel the pattern of who you are, deliquesce, as if you were a caterpillar in a cocoon. They lied to you when you were a child. The grub does not become the angel. It melts and dies, and from the fetid stew emerges a new animal. Metamorphosis is not transmigration. It is the retooling of meat. On the operating table, you disappear. The person you were is gone. All of the colors and tones, all the rich sense of history and life, all the things you did by habit, learning and design, they are all gone. It occurs to me I should have seen this coming. Why didn't I ask more questions? Was that an infection of Zeg? So, yeah, so this is, this is exactly what's happening to Noman right now consciousness being wiped out, losing self, says, I could die here. My mind uh, says, you know, it's directly affecting only this instance, but the flush of sympathetic hormone, hormonal response all through me would do the rest to the rest of me. Very clever. Very Z. Thank you, Z. Fuck you, Z. I could die here. My mind is twisting and I'm forgetting the, the detail and all the pain. Oh, fa la. I do believe I shall faint. Whatever shall I do? 
I tried to tell you before, I am not like you. The thing that I am does not work the way that you work. So what if I can't remember yesterday? If I lose the memories of my former selves, so what? Do you imagine that in all the time that I've been alive, I've never contemplated this? What am I, some lost sheep, a carnival villain, or a comic book character perpetually amazed at the childish three-color schemes of chess masters whose ploys would be obvious to anyone paying even a modicum of attention? What am I going to do? I am Nomon, sometimes called the murdering angel, occasionally the last redoubt, spelled R-E-D-O-U-B-T, redoubt. I am Nomon, sometimes called the murdering angel, occasionally the last redoubt. I am going to live forever in the skull of the next universe, and the next, and the next, until I've got universes all around me like a turducken, and maybe sooner or later I'll figure out a simpler way of dealing with the problem, or maybe finally the next universe will just see me, standing there dressed in the skin and bones of all the previous ones, and get the message and fuck off. Why? What are you going to do? And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> so I have slight disconnect. I don't know if I wandered and missed something or yeah. so the is like, Hey, I've got this time machine. I know you want it. No mom's like, of course, uh, all you have to do is kill alchemist, uh, artist, banker and librarian, or did he say hunter? But then it sounds like the is killing this like piece of no mom that's hanging out that went to go meet him. Yeah, it's not clear why or what exactly okay. is happening here, but there's some, you know, tremendous trauma and loss of of selfhood that's happening. Yeah. In Nomon right now in as, this borrowed husk that Well, this is gave this him. this is but this is happening in the Chamber of Isis. Right. This isn't happening because it's at Grayus. It's happening because it's the Chamber of Isis, maybe, probably. But there's still, I mean, it's kind of connected because. So, okay. So the Chamber of Vices is the time machine. Yes. And the quote before, not so much that it's a machine as a place that exists outside of time. Right. Through it, you can step to other things. Okay. So Nomon is going to use the Chamber of Vices to go and kill the four. Yes. That's what we are being led to assume. Yes. Yes. And this is San Seraphon. This is sans serif font. So this it's is somebody's memory. Yes. This is part of the Diana Hunter interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So a couple other random notes that I have just to hammer home that five cardinals of Z. There's a quote in here. Z possesses its own cardinal directions, dimensions held close like folded wings. There are five of them in the first in instance, and movements along them are movements that are flavored with what appears to us as time or entropy. Give them names. In, out, else, not, side, and curiosity. Compliance, lenience, judgment, punishment, and redress. Sweet, sour, salt, bitter, umami. E, G, B, D, F. Whatever you like. You cannot apprehend them from the outside. There's also a story in here that was cool about a time that an instance of Nomon got wet jacked by a rich kid who, you know, was just doing it for a cheap thrill, but eventually got so intoxicated with Nomon's way of thinking that he eventually asked to join the Nomon group mind. <laughs> There's a mention of the game Go again. Again, Kiriakos played that with the Asian billionaire. And then on the planet Zagreus, while Nomon is walking around, they see these sort of like 
weird bodies who do this like cuckoo clockwork dance thing that's perfectly scripted and they have seams on them, which honestly kind of reminded me of Scipio, the way that he was cut into pieces Mm -hmm. and how perfect those cuts were. And then the but the you know, they have like orifices that tear open but don't bleed. Man, that's a creepy. Yeah. Then there's uh, another thing. Nomon tells a bee joke and calls it one of the best jokes ever told in all the long history of human wit. Not just because it's funny if you've got the chops to nail the delivery, but because it is an incredibly powerful measure of persons. You can tell a great deal about someone by, from how they respond to this joke. I might actually make it a point to tell it to the banker, the librarian, the alchemist, and whatever the other one is. In fact, it's so revealing that I'm going to tell it now and see whether my inner, invisible interlocutor has anything to say about it. All right. You ready? Oh, God. Okay. Two beekeepers walk into a pub. It's a nice pub in the country somewhere with really good beer. It's been a longish time since they've seen one another, so they order a couple of pints and they set to talking. And when they've, come to, and when they've talked about families and the papers and the church roof, they, ine- they come inevitably to bees. My bees didn't do so well over the winter, the first guy says. How so? asks the second. Well, first guy says, I lost a couple hives. The queens died, so that was a shame. But on the upside, there's some really great new metal land growing up around where I live, so the honey from the others tastes amazing. How many bees you got now? His friend wants to know. Well, the first guy says, I've got maybe 250,000 in 11 hives. I, I brought some in after January to make up for the losses, you know, and obviously that I was pretty nervous because I didn't want to import any diseases. I petitioned the local council to move the cell phone mast, although I don't really think that makes a difference, and I've shifted to a new brand of smoke in case the one I was using was too harsh. I've sprayed a bit with some fungicide, checked for varroa mites, all that. What about you? How many you got now? Couple million, I suppose, says the other. Well, the first guy had no idea his friend was working on that scale. A couple million? That's huge. How many hives is that? Oh, says the second guy. You know, just the one. Now his friend is completely flummoxed. You've got a couple of million bees in one hive? That's insane. They must all be jammed in every which way. Second guy shrugs. Yeah, I expect they are. But you know, fuck them. They're bees. Good joke. Good joke. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. <laughs> anyway, my stepdad's a beekeeper, so I thought that that would that that tickled me. <laughs> Dude, that's like, yeah, man, that that opens up the conversation so heavily into like the two different types of collectors. <laughs> yeah. How so? Expand on that. Oh, sorry. So, like, you have the person that has, like, the passion and, like, the small scale, like, do every little piece right. And, yeah. like, they, they do the research. They put in the work. Don't right. Yeah. It. Yeah. And then you have the other guy that, like, does it for the, like, clout and just, like, yeah, I've got a few million of this collection sure you know, yeah. like, oh no way like how do you organize it i don't yeah 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 <laughs> i just i i bought them all it's it's uh they're in a box I, I somewhere it, yeah yeah I, I keep it to like impress the people that i bring over yeah or or, 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 or i'm gonna sit on it and sell it later or whatever yeah it's funny because like emotionally i try to be the first one but like in practice, I'm very much the second one <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to like me and my comics. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, okay, I guess the, my only other thing is that does, I guess, uh, I guess next chapter will probably go into it. But like, I'd, I'm not making the connection between the name of the chapter being, I'll give you a counter narrative yeah. to what we get given in this chapter. I think the implication is that the counter narrative, the thing that's going to tie the rest of the book together and the, the way that Diana is going to recohere mm-hmm. is, is through Nomon making its search, you know, going around to kill Kyriakos, uh, Athenaeus, Berihun. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean to exclaim so much, but <laughs> with this whole like identity crisis thing that Hunter was going through in the last chapter, I'm wondering now if we're going to find out that all five of these characters are parts of Nomon and no one's going to figure this out as it travels through the chamber of Isis to try mm. to hunt down these people. And so now it's going to be a, how does one delete parts of oneself? Yes. When one is a, an amalgamation of. Yeah. But also it seems likely that Oliver Smith has something to do with this. When he was in Diana's interrogation, he did something. He introduced something foreign. And the counter narrative has largely been his idea. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's the end of the first act of this book. Like this, this is the true episode four. We got a false view of the whole stakes and then it all got upended. And just from the, from the, the hindsight, I, I, I won't withhold this from you as someone who's finished the book. This is the true end of the first act here. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wild. That's all I got for this week. Sounds good, man. So next week we're doing X of Swords. X of Swords. Can't wait. Do we I'm call this? We, we can't call this giant size Dawn of X, right? We have to call it giant size X of Swords. Um, yeah. Dawn is done. Dawn is done. Done with Dawn. This is, we're now in the day of X. Yeah. Not to be confused with Deus Ex. <laughs> maybe, maybe morning, maybe, you know, a late, like a, a brunch of X. Yeah, because X of Swords leads into Reign of X. Right. Yeah. And Reign of X Volume 4 is not out yet. Okay. So there's going to be, there's gonna be a, a few weeks before we come back after this. Yeah, it's going to be mean, weird. There, there always is, but. Yeah, it's going to be weird getting current. I know. We'll have to find out something else for you to do. Yeah, dude, only I think only two issues of the trial of Magneto have come out. Okay, like that's very much a current, current thing. Oh, I heard something real depressing about X books going forward. I feel like you said something, and I don't know if we heard the same thing. I feel like I should tell you. I've been one thing has been revealed to me, but I don't remember what it It, is anymore. Oh, for me, (laughs) it's not the on the story side, it's on the creative side. Oh, okay, Hickman's leaving. After Inferno. Um, I know. did know Inferno was coming back. Yeah. Oh, no. I okay. know. Well, that, oh, man. Okay. I mean, that, wow. Apparently, mm. had, he planned out Dawn of X to be this, you know, first sort of arc in a larger storyline. And then it did so well that editorial was like, hey, why don't we just stay there? People like us. And he was oh. like, 
if you want to do that, then I'm out. And he wrote an exit for himself. And he took and he took a big fat stack of cash from stubs from Substack. And he's doing that and doing indie titles on Substack instead. That's beautiful. Dude, I <laughs> but like, dude, I hear about that happening with writers at Marvel so often. I'm so yeah. It makes me so sad. It's terrible, man. And and consider this is like the one thing from Marvel that's come out in years that I was excited to read. I know. And, and on top of that, like with it. they know Hickman. Like yeah. Marvel has a very established, like he's proven himself already. Like he introduced the Black Order for Thanos and then they became the big bad in the MCU. Marvel owes Hickman a lot. <laughs> yeah. They have profited greatly from his stories coming to fruition. Yeah. And, and then they they're like, hey, with them. let's do this giant reboot for the mutants. And Hickman, do whatever the fuck you want with it. Yeah, Hickman, to you're in charge. I'm just kidding. He finally establishes the definition of what an Omega level mutant is. <laughs> <laughs> and like he's done, he just he has created this over art. I just oh that's so upsetting. That's terrible. Yeah. That sucks. They did it to Straczynski twice in a row on on Marvel. He he had a insane random but really fun run on Spider-Man. And that was great. And then they were like, hey he needs to not be married. So let's take oh, that God. away. Yeah. And then that gave us one moment in time, which was <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Terrible deal with Mephisto. And then they gave Straczynski the reins to bring Thor back. Right. After Avengers disassembled, Ragnarok happened. Yep. And um, Thor just undid all of that. And so they brought him back. And then they were like, hey, we're going to do this crossover event where we destroy Asgard. And Straczynski's like, hold hold i have yeah i have intents and plans and they're like sorry bye and then he's like all right i'm out <laughs> and then he went and wrote for dc <laughs> yeah comic sucks uh, man yeah that's such a bummer yeah well exoswords exoswords next week though yep. which is current hickman and we can be stoked on that we anyway, this can. is gonna be a big read there's 18 issues good lord in exoswords Knowing us, we'll probably finish it by Tuesday. But uh, <laughs> even like I routinely am only reading like 15 to 20 issues yeah. on average. When you were reading comics, you were only reading like 10 to 15 issues on average. Yeah. Sometimes less. Sometimes, yeah. So this is going to be a heavy week. Yeah, we'll see. All right, then. All right. Uh, with that, we will give Nips this giant podcast to edit. Yeah. Thank you again. Shout out to Nipuna. And I guess we'll just put the outro music <gasps> here. Boom. All okay. right. All right. Take care of yourself. Get ready for my Twitch stream. Yeah. Yeah. Go get ready to eat some dinner. Oh, galactic fantastic. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> it took um, me a minute, but I got that. You got this. <laughs>